Well, a huge welcome, everybody, and uh, today we are in Matthew's Gospel. So if you have a Bible or if it's on your phone, we're opening up to Matthew chapter 25, and we're looking at verses 31 to 46, the story of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and imprisoned, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I want to talk to you today about five ways to stand up for justice. Five ways to stand up for justice. It was Martin Luther King who famously said, The arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. I think that's true. But despite this truth, our world is full of injustice from international politics to home affairs. Unfair business practices, corrupt systems and structures, not to mention how individuals can treat us on a day-to-day basis. Perhaps some of you here today have experienced injustice in your life. Maybe you're going through some form of injustice at this time. And I know that the subject of justice is dear to the hearts of many people here in this church. Emily and I feel so privileged and honored to be part of a church which are partnering with so many amazing organizations, bringing justice locally, nationally, and all around the world. And rightly, justice should be right at the heart of the church because it's right at the very heart of God. He is the God of justice. Justice is one of the most profound of human longings. If there's no justice, then deep within ourselves, we know that just something in our world is not right. 
maybe think of the conviction recently of Derek Chauvin after the second-degree murder of George Floyd, or perhaps closer to home, those 736 sub-postmasters who were this week declared innocent after being wrongly accused. Understandably, I think when we think of justice, we, we often think of individual rights. But actually, biblical justice is so much richer, so much more expansive than that. It's not a set of rules or guidelines, but it's rooted in the very character of God. It's this idea of shalom, where everything is right with the world. There's this universal flourishing, wholeness, and peace. It was the former Pope, Pope VI, who said, if you want peace, work for justice. That's why our faith must manifest itself in action. Of course, that's been one of the key themes that we've been looking at as a church in our series in James. That verse, faith without deeds is dead. There are so many things locally, regionally in our city, nationally, on a global scale where we find ourselves saying, that's not right. Things shouldn't be this way. Where's the justice in that? What we're saying is, where is the shalom? Where is that deep peace? But we can be assured that one day through, through Jesus, God will make all things right. He will renew all things. And that's the picture we have here in this passage in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is telling this parable, not just as a story, but it's a vision of the future. He says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. This, of course, is a picture of judgment and justice being administered. And it's a picture also of God's grace. We're encouraged in the book of Hebrews to approach the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. God loves justice. And as his people, we also are to love justice. The context of this passage, Jesus is talking particularly to the Pharisees. And he's relating these words particularly to his disciples. When he says the least of these it's that image of almost the little children, but his followers. But of course, it also has huge implications for us as Christians and how we act in the world. And I believe that this passage shows us five ways to stand up for justice. First, we are to share our food with the hungry. Verse 35 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I think one of the most awful things about this pandemic in re this recent year, it's been the disproportionate impact on some of the poorest and the most vulnerable in our society, especially those on low incomes. It's been said many times that we're all in the same boat. We're, oh, we're so sorry, we're all in the same storm but we're not all in the same boat. 
We've seen a famine exposed on our doorsteps. Huge demand, increased demand for food banks around the country. And near the start of the pandemic, I remember hearing this story from one food bank volunteer. He said, yesterday I called a 49-year-old man with severe disabilities who hadn't left his home in five years. With no family or friends to help him, he relies on weekly ASDA food delivery. When the lockdown started, demand for online deliveries meant that he couldn't order food. Once the food in his house was used up, he relied on water and sucking on tea bags. Every time he rang a number for help, he was given the number of someone else to call. In the end, he called the police and they called us. Due to his very specific dietary requirements, they didn't know if we could help. But of course we can help. As I chatted on the phone and wandered the shelves of our newly set up distribution center at the church, I smiled to myself. Every single item he asked for, no matter how random, we had something in our church. The only thing he didn't mention was fresh milk. I said, would you like me to get you four pints of milk? And he began to cry. I thought I'd been forgotten, he said, and that I was going to die alone. Yes, I would love some milk. Just this week, I had the privilege of being involved in a leader's breakfast online. And we heard from uh, the chief executive of the Trussell Trust, which is actually partnering with thousands of food banks all around this country. And not least, our own Wandsworth Food Bank, which is led so brilliantly by the St. Mark's staff. But Emma Reevey, she was saying that during this pandemic, they've seen a 47% increase in the use of food banks since the start of the pandemic. Together, we're working to provide emergency food and support and also to challenge some of the unjust systems and structures that are, exist and that perpetuate this cycle of poverty in people's lives. And of course, then there's the Love Your Neighbor campaign, this united gathering of churches all across our nation caring for the most vulnerable in our society through food parcels and debt advice. You can be involved with your skills, your time, your resources. This is one of the ways that we as a church can stand up for justice. The second way is to be inclusive. Those famous words, Jesus says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. You will have heard the phrase, birds of a feather flock together. And it can often be the most easiest thing to stick with what we know and who we know. But as the church and as the followers of Jesus, we're called to be a community that is so much richer, so much more beautiful, so much more diverse. The church is a family where everyone is welcome. Everyone can find meaning and purpose, friendship and belonging. I heard somebody say, people don't just want to go to a friendly church. They want to go to a church where they can make friends. And as the church here, we want to celebrate our diversity. We want to reflect our city that's over 40% ethnically diverse in our region. With all of its beauty and its creativity. But we also know that, sadly, this hasn't always been 
the case. Often the church can feel a lonely place for people. It can feel maybe cliquey or people feel left out for whatever reason. We've had to face up as the church to even institutional racism in our history. That is not right. That's not how we as the church should be. Just this week, I was conducting an interview uh, for uh, Spear, which basically works with young people, getting them back into employment. And we were interviewing for one of our new Spear coaches. And one of the panel asked this brilliant question. He said, how can we change as a church and be more welcoming to potential Spear trainees, those typically younger who haven't grown up in the church from a more working class background and those from ethnic minorities? That's a great question. What answers come to your mind? You'll be pleased to know that she gave a great answer. It's given us loads of great ideas and she got the job. But of course, as a church, we need to do more to be inclusive. Not just to be welcoming. Not just to be inviting. But actually to create a space where people can belong and be themselves. I was a stranger. Those people on the margins. The alien. The refugee. Those who are underrepresented. And those strangers, they're all around us. So many people today are socially isolated. People are looking for belonging and connection. I was interested to read this story this week. I don't know if you saw it. it the title was, My Doctor Prescribed Rambling for Lockdown Anxiety. It says, An Edinburgh widower who was struggling with mental health issues due to the isolation of lockdown, has walked 2,000 miles in a year after his doctor prescribed that he joined the Ramblers. Jim Snodgrass, 84, from South Queensferry, said he was expecting to receive medication for his anxiety, but instead all he was given was the Ramblers' phone number. Dr. Victor Jack said he recognized that Jim needed social connection, not pills. Jim, whose wife Sheila died six years ago, said he broke down during the first COVID lockdown in March 2020. The grandfather of two said, I was not feeling good as I was bothered with my nerves. So I called the doctor and that's when I burst into tears in the phone and I was given the number for the Ramblers. You know, it's great that there's a lot of walking going on. There's physical fitness is good for our mental health. But wouldn't it be... Amazing if our local GP surgeries are not giving out the number for ramblers, but they're giving out the local church's number. Because this is the place where people can find social connection, belonging. They're invited in. As Emily said earlier, the church is not a club that you join. It's a family where you belong. So that's the second thing. We need to be inclusive. Thirdly, we're to protect the vulnerable. Jesus says, I needed clothes and you clothed me. This isn't just about new threads. Although I did hear that uh, Asda, their brand George, are beginning to sell secondhand clothes. And so many of us, I know, take our clothes to uh, clothes banks. But actually, it's deeper than that. This is richer than that. This goes right to the heart 
of economic inequality in our society. People deprived of the most basic of necessities. Covering, refuge, shelter, protection, housing. Those who are homeless, yes, but it's so much more than even that. I heard such an inspiring story this week, a family in this church who for several years they've been providing respite foster care for a teenage Down syndrome boy. And over those years they've been welcoming him in and actually providing covering for this single parent family and his son. I just found that so inspiring, so humbling. I thought, wow, that's it. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I needed covering. I needed protection, and you protected me. Of course, not everyone's in a position to do that kind of thing, but some of us are. Some of us may be able to step into that kind of responsibility. Fourthly, we're to care for the sick and suffering. Jesus says, I was ill, and you looked after me. In one sense, this might not seem like an injustice. It's just merely part of life. People get sick. People go through suffering. Of course, that's been the case typically at this time of uncertainty that we've lived in through these months. Actually, every time you pray for someone, you're seeing the kingdom of God come. His peace, his shalom in people's lives. And of course, we should visit the sick in home and in hospital when it's legal to, when we're allowed to. But also when we think more broadly, it's so often the long-term sick who are victims of some of the unfair systems in our society. Even when we think more broadly, globally, so many preventable diseases, if it wasn't just for the unequal distribution of wealth. I don't know if any of you have heard of a man called Scott Harrison. I'd encourage you to look him up online. Amazing story about a charity called Charity Water. And he uh, was traveling with the Mercy Ships uh, in his sort of 20s. And he just saw the deprivation around the globe. And what a difference just clean water could make. I was just stunned and shocked to, to hear that dirty water is responsible for so much death in the world. 785 million people in the world don't have access to clean water. Just think of the impact of that. We are called as the church to stand up for justice. That is not right. Fifthly and finally, we are to fight for freedom. Jesus says, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Of course, many people are rightfully convicted of their crimes. Justice in that sense has been done. And in that sense, we're still called to visit those who are in prison, to care for ex-offenders. But as you know, many people are imprisoned or enslaved as a result of extreme injustice in our world. More people are enslaved today than at any other time in history. It's estimated to affect more than 40 million people worldwide. 70% of that 40 million are women and girls. 25%, 10 million are children. I know that this church is doing so much 
amazing work to break those chains of slavery, working with amazing organizations like International Justice Mission. I know Ben's wife, Jen, sort of working on the staff team there, other connections that we have with them and other organizations. And that's physically, but also mentally and emotionally, people imprisoned by addictions, mental health issues, depression, and anxiety. How is the church are we to respond? How are we to take responsibility for breaking those chains? So five ways to stand up for justice. But why? Why should we stand up for justice? Why as Christians should we be proactive and take responsibility individually and collectively? And what makes us as the church distinctive? We know that Christians don't have the monopoly on good works. There are so many people of all faiths and none doing amazing work in our society. So what's the difference? Well, earlier in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, that's the first reason. It's a witness. It's not just for the sake of doing good. It's not just for the sake of philanthropy. But it's so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. These acts of kindness, these acts of justice, it points people to Jesus. This week, we went for coffee with some neighbors, and he had a particular passion for the saints. And this elderly gentleman had been reading about the saints, and he reminded us about St. Francis of Assisi, who, of course, said, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. I think one of the key things that we've learned through this pandemic is that as the church, we shouldn't seek to meet people's spiritual needs without also meeting their physical needs. So it's a witness. The second reason, it's our worship. That famous verse, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Imagine if Jesus was standing here right now and he said that to each one of us. It's for him. See, our worship and justice are inseparable. We're to serve Jesus by serving others. When we come together online or in person, we worship with our songs. But when we go from here, we're scattered as the church and we worship with our deeds, with the way that we love our neighbor and serve And when we worship like this, it doesn't just have consequences now. Making a difference where we are. Sharing our food. Being more inclusive. Protecting the vulnerable. Caring for the sick. Fighting for freedom. But it also has eternal consequences for each one of us. This passage clearly shows us that there will be a separation between the sheep and the goats. Those who choose to follow the good shepherd, the one who looked at the crowd and had compassion on them, the one who taught his followers 
to love their neighbor and those who don't, those who choose to live for themselves, to go their own way. But Jesus is saying to those who worship in this way, to those who follow him, it says that they will be blessed and inherit eternal life, the kingdom of God prepared since the creation of the world. And the amazing news is that that's available to each one of us. And he invites us to receive his grace. Not because of what we've done or what we've not done. It can be tempting to read this passage and in some way feel convicted or guilty that it's about our works. But we know, don't we? We're not saved by good works. But we are saved for good works. But it's because of his love for you and for me that Jesus came to this world. And the truth is he found each one of us hungry and thirsty. And yet he gave his body on the cross. He found us separated, strangers from God. And yet he welcomed and invited us in. We were naked but he clothed us and covered us with his righteousness. We were sick and suffering. He brought our healing. We were in bondage to the addictions of fear and to death. And yet he has broken the chains of addiction. He has set us free from fear and free from the power of death. And I think when we grasp this truth, that's when we begin to take responsibility for our world. That's when we begin to partner with him. When we see what he's done for us, then our only response is to worship, loving him and loving others. Freely you have received, now freely give. That's what each one of us is called into, to be the church, to stand up for justice in Jesus' name. Until that glorious day when he will return and he will make all things new. That's what we're longing for. For the kingdom of God to come now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen.